To learn more about The Church at West Gant, visit us at www.thechurchatwg.com or visit our Facebook page, and we would love to connect with you. Have a great day. Our children are going to head upstairs uh, for Worship Kids Style this morning, and uh, they are uh, taking a break. We've, uh, just to update everybody in the room, we've been taking our kids for almost the last year on a journey through the Old Testament. And so they began in Genesis 1 and have walked through story by story uh, the most of the entirety of the Old Testament. Uh, this week, uh, they have finished the Old Testament, and so they're going to do uh, a study this morning on the books of the Bible and the, uh, the separation of the Old and New Testament and what that means and kind of the structure of God's Word. Uh, and then beginning next week, they're going to dive into the New Testament, and we'll spend about another year walking them through the stories of the New Testament. And so it's just been a blessing to watch as our kids have gone through that and as they've learned and studied uh, some of the amazing stories of the Old Testament. Uh, and I can't wait to see what they do uh, with the New Testament. Let's uh, jump into our passage this morning, though. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, and we are going to pick up in verse 5 this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Uh, last week, we had the blessing and honor and privilege, and the, the blessing, the honor, and the privilege, and the, the blessing, the honor, and the privilege. <laughs> privilege of hearing Wes. And if you weren't here last week, that joke will mean nothing to you. Uh, but it was, uh, it was an honor for real to, to hear Wes preach and uh, did an amazing job talking about giving. And uh, I hope that you've had the opportunity just to come by and tell him how much you appreciate uh, him putting in the work and the effort and uh, stepping out in faith and the calling that God has placed on his life. Uh, and uh, we're excited to see where he goes. In just a few weeks, you're going to get to hear from another uh, new face in the room. Uh, Will Orr is going to be preaching in, uh, in June for us. Uh, and Will, what date did we say on that, June? I don't know. July. July 2nd. Sorry. So we've got about four more weeks, and you'll get to hear from Will uh, as we continue the Sermon on the Mount series. Um, and just really looking forward to hearing his um, uh, where God takes him in that. Uh, Wes and Will and I have been meeting together and during the Sunday school hour, uh, walking through our sermon series together. Um, and it has been a blessing to study scripture with them uh, and to prepare our hearts for what we're going to be presenting in the pulpit. Uh, a lot of times as a pastor, you kind of get uh, you feel kind of alone in some things. You feel like it's kind of your burden to bear and your task and, and the church is kind of on your shoulders. And so to have guys like Wes and Will uh, who are willing to meet and take some of the burden and, and, and to, uh, uh, to be developed in their own callings uh, is just an encouragement uh, to me personally. Uh, but we've been in the Sermon on the Mount for a while now and we've been walking through it over several weeks. Uh, we are not quite to the halfway mark yet, but we're wait, making our way that direction. Uh, this morning, we find ourselves in the middle of uh, a chunk of really three or four parts uh, where Jesus says, hey, we've, uh, we've got this idea of what it looks like to, to be in my kingdom. He gives us the Beatitudes, and he says, this is kind of the spiritual resume of someone who's following me. Then he goes into this discussion about righteousness, and he really begins to kind of dive in on the Pharisees a little bit and helps us define what the difference is between pharisaical, legalistic righteousness, where we have to obey all these commands and we have to, our, the focus is on the law and the focus is on this obedience to it. And, and we can kind of dance on the line a little bit, but as long as we don't cross the line, we're okay. He begins to contrast the idea behind this fake man-made version of righteousness and God's version of righteousness, which is this idea of the pursuit of Christ, the pursuit of God's heart. 
And so he, he dives really deeply into that, and he talks about it's not about seeing how close to sin we can get, but it's about seeing how close to Jesus we can get. And we spent some time on that. And now Jesus begins to transition, and he begins to talk about three practical ways where we see this concept of fake righteousness and real righteousness on display. And so the first of those was what Wes preached on last week, and it's the idea of giving. And he brought out this idea of the, the hypocrite. And he, and he talked about these people who, uh, who make this big display of their money. And if you'll remember last week, Wes had this big uh, uh, foot tub over here on the side, and he had a big jar of coins that he borrowed from his dad, which we are glad to report it made it back safely to his dad. Uh, and no one stole the money. So uh, I don't have any money for you today. So, uh, But he came over here and he dumped it into this bin, and it made this incredibly loud noise. And we, we talked about how the Pharisees would literally walk into the temple and they would slam their coins into these major, these uh, massive basins in order that they would gain the attention of people. And Jesus says, these hypocrites, they do that in order that they can get their reward right then and there. But Jesus says, there's a different way, a way that is storing up treasure in heaven, which we'll get to in just a couple of weeks. But it's this idea of, hey, as you pour your money in, uh, let that be something that's done in secret. He says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing and do so in a way that honors God. Well, this week we dive into the second example of true righteousness, and that is the idea of prayer. Join with me, if you will, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. There they are again. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words." Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ever even ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those, uh, or excuse me, as we also have been forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray over the reading of God's Word. God, we are grateful this morning to have a copy of your Word in front of us, Father, when so many around this world they hunger and thirst for it, and yet because of the laws and the government that they live under, Father, don't have access to it. And so, Father, we, we praise you just for the freedom that we experience here in America, Father, to be able to open up our Bible this morning and to read its pages freely. God, how often we forsake that, how often we forget on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Thursday afternoon how often we forget that we have the joy and the privilege and the pleasure to be able to open up your word anytime we choose. 
But this morning, Father, we've done it intentionally. Father, this morning we have opened up its pages. And Father, we are seeking its truth. And God, I pray that you would open it up to us in new and fresh ways. Father, as we talk about praying to you, as we talk about seeking you and praying in a way that honors and glorifies you in a real way, God, I pray that this morning you would help us to see that, that you would use the words of this book, the words of your son Jesus recorded for us, You would use those words, Father, to change our hearts, to transform us into the people that you desire us to be. That's the cry of our heart, God. We love you. We praise you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So Jesus sits on this hillside with his disciples, and he's preaching this sermon, and he's setting the stage for what the rest of his earthly ministry was going to look like and beyond. He was really creating for them the culture of his kingdom and what he wanted these 12 men and those who had gathered with them to understand and to be able to execute even after his resurrection and ascension. And he begins this block of scripture again with this idea of, hey, don't give like the hypocrites do. They're just trying to draw attention to themselves, but do it differently. Do it secretly. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Do it in such a way that honors God and isn't about pleasing people. Then he jumps into this idea of prayer, and in this passage, he's really going to give us kind of two negative examples and then two positive examples to go off of. So two things that he says, hey, don't do this, but rather do it this way. And so I just want to dive real quickly into those this morning, Uh, beginning in verse 5. He says, and when you pray, here comes the negative example, you must not be like the hypocrites. Well, what do the hypocrites do? Because we don't want to be like that. He continues on, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. So what's going on in this passage? Well, culturally speaking, the Pharisees had two major times of the day or two major locations rather that they would pray at specific times of the day. One of those would be that they had already made their way to the temple or to the synagogue and they would enter into the temple or synagogue at the right moment and the service would begin and they would be called forward as a Pharisee to lead the people in prayer. And so they would stand in front just like I am right now and they would declare the righteousness of God but in so doing they were being hypocritical because while they declared the righteousness of God, the desire of their heart was that the people sitting in the the room would understand their righteousness and recognize their heart in that. And so there is this major scene of hypocrisy where people are standing in front of a group of people telling them to direct their hearts towards God, but doing everything they can to counteract that and direct the attention towards themselves. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you feel like you've listened to a person stand on stage and go, they're not really up there for God. It just sounds like they're really just up there just trying to make people think that they're good and that they're amazing or that they're incredible. This was the heartbeat of these Pharisees. They would come and they would be eloquent and they would be just flamboyant and they would be loud and they would try to get all of the attention towards themselves. There was a second location that they would do that honestly was probably, in my opinion, worse than the first. And and the second location was this, that they would intentionally be late to worship on purpose because at the specific time when they were supposed to be praying, wherever these Jews were, they would stop wherever they were and they would voice this prayer at a specific time. And so if they didn't make it to the synagogue, guess where they would do it? Right there in the street 
wherever they were. So they'd be walking down the road and, oh, it's time. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, right, where, right wherever they are. And just as loud as they could be, and they would draw a bunch of attention to themselves. They were, uh, but but the, the heartbeat behind this, many scholars and, and uh, theologians who've written in these commentaries, they said they would intentionally be late to places just so they could get the attention. Now, from an outsider's perspective, this may sound kind of missional, doesn't it? It kind of sounds like, well, they just wanted people to know about God. And, and so they were doing it outside of the four walls of their church. They, they were praying where people could hear them, and, and maybe they were trying to draw people into the faith. Maybe that's what they were doing. And Jesus says, no. No, the heartbeat behind these men was that they were trying to direct people to see their righteousness, this fake, man-made, fraudulent version of what God has really called us all to be and to do. And so Jesus calls us to examine our own prayer life. Jesus boldly stands before his disciples on this mountainside and he says, don't be like them. Don't be like those people who, who stand in front of a crowd and, and draw the attention to themselves. Don't, don't pray in such a way that, that you, you intentionally draw the eyes of others to you. But then he gives us a positive example to go off of. He says, if you're not gonna do that, then what should we do? He says back in verse five at the, the end of that verse, he says, truly I say to you, these men who seek attention, they've already received their reward. And then in verse six, he says, but you, <laughs> but when you, my disciples, when you, the people who are gonna display my name, when you, the people who are, who are here to depict who I am to the world around you, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, all these things you see the Pharisees do, all the things that you see these religious, pious people do, do the opposite. <laughs> Go hide yourself away because God who's in secret will see what you do in secret. Here's what I want you to know about prayer this morning from this first positive and negative example is this. God sees our heart. He knows the ambitions behind the prayers we pray. He knows the, the desires of what we say, the things that we do, the, the things that we put on display for people to see, and the things that we do in secret where no one knows. God knows those things. And so if God who knows my heart in secret, if he's the same God who knows my heart in a quiet room with the door shut where no one will ever see me and he hears my prayers there, if that same God is the same God who's in this room this morning, if that same God that meets me in my prayer closet locked away from the rest of the world is the same God gathered with us right now inside of this sanctuary in the church at West Gant, in the hearts of these believers, then why should I pray any differently here than I do in that room because God already knows me. Duncan did not know that that's where I was going with the sermon this morning, but the conversation he had about graves in the gardens, the song that we sang just a little bit ago, is incredibly powerful, this idea that the same God who's on the mountain sees us in the valleys, and we can come before him honest in a prayer closet or in a sanctuary. 
we can come before that same God, pouring out our hearts, saying, this is who I am because you know me in secret, God. You know all the things that I've done behind closed doors. You know all the things that I've done in secret, God. Then I can come into public and I can be the same person. There's no need for me to put on a show. There's no need for me to come up here and have some fake form of righteousness that you can approve of me. There's no reason for any one of you to come forward and, and bow at an altar or voice a prayer for an offering or do a scripture reading and, or teach a Sunday school class and put on a show for people and make them believe that you're this righteous person because the same God who sees you at home staring at a computer screen looking at things you shouldn't look at is the same God who's in this room this morning. And so why can't we approach that God the same way? Because we're too concerned about our righteousness. You wanna know how this plays out in modern day times? Yeah, it plays out in the hearts of pastors and leaders. That's really kind of who Jesus was kind of directing us at was the hypocrites is really described as the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the guys who were on stage. But you wanna know how it plays out in our hearts? It, it plays out in the hearts of our people by us making sure that we have a mask on every time we walk into church, smiling and pretending like everything's okay when it's really not. Because the God who knows in secret knew us at home, and we came here, though, and we have to put on a show. And so when we offer an altar call or when we challenge something and God begins to speak or move in your heart and it stirs in you and you go, man, I gotta do something about this. I gotta, I gotta seek God. I gotta lay this thing at the altar. And, and you start to slide out of the altar and you start to come forward and you start to address what God has laid on your heart and all of a sudden you go, ooh, wait a minute, I can't do that. Mary Sue sitting across the pew from me is gonna see me go forward. She's gonna know what's going on and, and I, I can't have that. Jesus says, I'm the same God that's in your closet. Let me be the God of the sanctuary too. But Jesus really kind of preaches it in reverse. That, that's the way I would present it to you this morning, but Jesus really preaches that reverse. He says, hey, you've come into the room and you've got this, this face on, you've got this righteousness, and he says, hey, stop doing that. Like, go deal what you need to deal with. Go into your closet and shut the door where no one's there and it's just you and God and quit making it about this face. Quit making it about the mask that you wear, but just get honest before God. And I wonder how many times we go weeks and months and years without really just being honest with God because we either think we have it all together or we wanna pretend like we have it all together. Ladies and gentlemen, this morning, none of us have it all together. You are in good company today. You are surrounded by sinners. You are surrounded by people who are broken. You are surrounded by people who messed up this week. You are probably surrounded by people who messed up this morning, all right? You're surrounded by sin, and we all walk into the same presence of the same God who comes to gather with us, and he says, I love you anyway, but you gotta fix what you're dealing with. So take care of business and pray and seek after me and handle that in secret if you need to. But, but man, just be honest and be real with me and quit heaping up all these religious things. Just be real. Just be honest in your prayer life with God. I've known several prayer warriors in my life, but there's one lady in particular who was with me at a previous church and um, 
She was a little bit Pentecostal. You need to know that about her, all right? So she, we, I, I'm maybe a little bit Bapticostal, all right? So I'm like Baptist by, by nature, by theology, I'm Baptist, but I like putting my hands up to worship, all right? And so I'm a little bit Bapticostal, uh, and, and it's okay, all right? So if, if hand raising offends anybody, I'll wear more deodorant next week and we'll be good. But this lady in particular, she was straight up Pentecostal, all right? And so she, uh, she was a prayer warrior. And when I say that, I don't mean like she would come to church and she would do her thing. I mean, this lady would wake up at four in the morning and go to her closet that she had designated in her room, or in her house rather, where she had cleared out an entire space and had decorated the walls with just prayer prompts and people's names and uh, requests that she was taking before God. And she had a cushion on the floor where her knees would go down and, and where she would just voice these things and she would pray for hours on end. And I remember walking into a worship service at a coffee shop in Virginia with this lady. We were uh, leading a bunch of college students, and uh, there was probably 50 or 60 college students in the room, and I had preached this message that day, and I came down off of the pulpit or out of the stage and walked to the back of the room uh, while they were wrapping everything up, and this lady came to me, and she said, Chris, she said, I've been praying for you, and I need you to know something that I think God has spoken over your life. And the next thing that she told me is a thing that I will hold on to for the rest of my life and never tell anybody. Because I believe that what was spoken to her in that moment was true and trustworthy. Because it was done in secret where she prayed. It was done in secret when she came to tell me about it. She said, Chris, I, will you step over here for just a second? I need, to, I need to have a word with you about what I believe God has spoken over your life. And that's something that I've held dearly to because I believe that she was praying in a Matthew 6 kind of way. And it's something that isn't for anybody else in this world. It was something that God sent through a prayer warrior into my life in secret. And I've held on to that. We'll continue to hold on to that because I believe that it's true and trustworthy. I wonder how many of us need to get on our knees a little bit more, need to pray a little bit more, but not here at church, maybe in secret. He goes on, though, and he gives another negative example. Pick up with me in verse 7. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So what was the second problem in this Gentile formation that was kind of coming? The problem that was being had here wasn't necessarily the loud and outspokenness as much as it was the heaping up of empty religious Phrases. I have a favorite comedian. Uh, his name is Tim Hawkins. And uh, Tim Hawkins is a Christian comedian. He's really funny. If you don't look, know him, look him up on YouTube. By the way, Tyler and Megan, the date we were looking at to go see him is sold out. We can't go. Sorry. But he has a bit from years ago. I'm talking 10, 15 years ago in one of, his, uh, one of the first shows that I remember ever seeing of him in a video that I watched. He has this, uh, this um, a bit about prayer. And he begins to call a bunch of Christians out who are standing in the room in kind of a comedic way. He calls us out for some of the things that we say in our prayers that probably mean absolutely nothing when it comes down to it. Things like this. Father, we pray a hedge of protection around them. And he goes, a what? Is that like a bush? Like you're praying a bush around somebody? Like what does that mean? And like that's in his head and he's like, what is that, what is that really? We know what that means. I mean, we, we, we understand what we're saying when we pray that. That's an honest thing. But the, the wording of it is so strange, is it not? 
And yet we say that all the time. We pray a hedge of protection around them. Do you think Satan can't handle shrubbery? Like, what's the thing? And he goes on and he says, it's not just about that phrase. He says this. He says, we'll sit down to a dinner of the greasiest, nastiest cheeseburger and fries in the world, and then we'll pray this prayer. Father, Lord, bless it to our bodies. You want God to do what? And he even says, this is my favorite line out of the entire bit. He's praying, a mock prayer, obviously. He says, Lord, I don't know how you're doing, but take this French fry and turn it into a carrot, Lord, on the way down. (laughs) The prayers we pray, the things we ask God to do, have we really thought about it? Or are we just praying things for the sake of praying things? Because we heard a good pastor say it one time, or a good Sunday school teacher who we respected used to pray using those words, so we repeat the same ones. But do we even really know what it means or why we pray it? Or are we really praying it with honesty in our hearts? Are we just saying it because it's dinner time and we're supposed to bless the meal? Jesus says, quit heaping up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. They mean nothing. Stop. I I, I listened to myself pray this week. I know that sounds kind of weird. But I listened to myself pray this week because I knew I was preparing for this message. Every time I sat down to pray, whether it was at a mealtime with my family or in my own devotional life or up in my office or even in here throughout the week, stopping in to pray in the sanctuary or whatever, I just listened to the words that either ran through my head in silence or as I spoke them out loud to other people. I just listened to my words. You know what I found? I found that even me, as a pastor, as as a guy who does this for a living, I heap up a lot of empty phrases. I heap up a lot of stuff that just really, in the end of all things, just doesn't really mean a whole lot. I pray the same prayer on Wednesday nights with our kids every time we bless a meal. Here's the prayer that I pray over our children in, in the gym right here every Wednesday night. Lord, we thank you for bringing these students into the room. We praise you for their gathering. Father, we pray that you would take the food that we're about to eat, bless it to our bodies, give us strength that we can become the people of God you've called us to be. And Lord, help us tonight to learn more about who you are and who you're calling us to be. I say the same words every Wednesday night. Curtis, say the same words every Wednesday night. And you know that even for me, as I read through this this week and as I studied over it, and then as I listened to myself pray that prayer on Wednesday night, I went, I've got 40 kids in this room that God has placed in my care tonight to love and to develop and to nourish in their spiritual walk with him and all they ever hear from me every single week is God, would you bless this food to our bodies and give us strength and God, would you help us to learn more about you and teach us how to walk like you? That's all they ever hear from me as I pray over these kids every week. And man, I was challenged by that. And guys, if I stand up here as your pastor going, man, I'm convicted over my own prayer life in this. Man, I guarantee you that some of us in this room need to evaluate our prayer life. We need to think about the things that we're saying to God. And we need to ask the question, God, am I heaping up empty phrases like the Gentiles do? Or am I really praying for the heart of God? Because I'll be honest, I walked out Wednesday night kind of mad at myself a little bit. And it was like, God, I'm sorry that I have prayed the same repetitive, empty prayer over the lives of these kids every week for the last six months. 
God goes on to, or Jesus goes on, well, he is God, but God goes on to give us a positive example. So what should we do? Verse nine, pray them like this. Our Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do you know that in the translation of that particular prayer that I just read, there are 52 words. That's it. 52. And yet we'll stand and wax eloquent and pray these mighty things. 52 words is all Jesus said we needed. But you know what's funny and ironic? We could dive into the Lord's Prayer. By the way, we're not gonna do that this morning, but we could dive into the Lord's Prayer and we could dissect what Jesus really prayed for. But, but we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount in broad strokes, right? We're looking at the big topics that Jesus has put on display. And, and, but what I find interesting about this prayer is Jesus literally just said, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. Then he gives us an example prayer and guess what we have done with it? We have put it on napkins and towels and we have memorized it and repeated it and we pray it over and over again exactly as Jesus prayed it and guess what it has turned into for a lot of people? A whole lot of empty religious phrases. Isn't that funny how we do that? Isn't that funny how Jesus is trying to draw our attention to something and so he gives us something to work with and something to understand and, and he's trying to get across to us like stop praying these empty prayers and then we take the example prayer that he gives us and we turn it into an empty prayer. We do that so often with the commands of God. He gives us something that's valuable and, and a point that we need to understand. And instead of taking and understanding that, we turn it into the very thing that God has asked us not to do. We take the laws and the commands of God. We, we take the, the obedience to that and those things that God asks us to do and, and we turn it into something that it was never meant to be, which is a way for us to judge and condemn other people. God says, just pray humbly. There are, there are some things that Jesus prays for in this. He, he prays for, uh, first of all, he praises God. He prays for God's will. He prays for forgiveness. He prays for protection. But he prays this short 52-word prayer that encompasses everything that we need to say to God. And we turn it into a good slogan that goes on a greeting card somewhere and gets mailed out every so often. Do we understand the heartbeat of Jesus in the Lord's Prayer? Do we understand what he was drawing our attention to? It wasn't that we would have this thing that we could all stand and quote, and, and, and for many of you, maybe even this happened. As I began to read that from the ESV translation, I bet it wasn't in the translation that you grew up with, and I bet there were some words that you heard and you went, ooh, that's not the Lord's Prayer. because you've turned it into an empty prayer where you've memorized a man's translation of that instead of understanding Jesus' heartbeat behind it. We need to evaluate our prayer life, people. 
We need to evaluate the things that we're doing and saying because prayer is one of the most great, greatest tools that God has given us. I was talking with somebody earlier this week and we were talking about the concept of prayer and I said, guys, you know, I think that there's something that we just completely underestimate. And the thing that we underestimate is the fact that God desires to hear our heart. And he desires to respond. But sometimes we overlook that and we exchange it for some empty, Lord bless the meal kind of prayer. You have an opportunity every time you step foot in this room and every time you open up God's word, every time you close yourself off in a prayer closet, you have an opportunity to go before God in prayer. You have an opportunity to sit in his presence and communicate to the God. Catch this for a second. You have an opportunity to talk with the God who spoke a universe into existence. And we wanna say, bless this meal. Our prayer is empty. Or are they powerful? Jesus says these prayers, they contain a lot of power. Verse 14, he puts on display for us what kind of power these things have. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Did you know that your prayers have the ability to set others and yourself free. They are powerful things. How will you use it? This week, I want to challenge you. Listen to yourself pray. I want to challenge you to, to sit down and really think about the things that are coming out of your mouth as you pray these prayers. And ask yourself the question, God, am I praying as a hypocrite, am I praying for the sake of drawing attention to myself or empty prayers where I'm just heaping up empty phrases and because it's just what I've heard or it's just out of repetition? Or God, am I praying real, honest prayers to the God who controls every aspect of my life and desires to hear from me? What kind of prayer are you praying this week? I would also challenge you in this moment right now, evaluate the last week, the last month, the last decade of your life. How's your prayer life looked? Has it been empty? Have you fallen into some routines that maybe God is trying to shake you out of this morning? Maybe you need to take the mask off for a minute because maybe you've been praying to him in secret and maybe you forgot that even in this space it's the same God. Maybe you need to take the mask off for a minute. Maybe you need to come forward and just really pray and seek God today at the altar. Or maybe you just need to pray where you are. Whatever you need to do, my prayer for you is that you would find hope, encouragement, forgiveness, and redemption in the heart of the Father as you pray and seek his face. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, we thank you for the example of prayer that your son gave us. We thank you for the, the calling out that Jesus needed to do in that moment. 
We, we thank you that he was brave enough and bold enough to stand before a bunch of Jewish men who had been raised in these traditions, who had spent their lives doing it the same way, that he had the boldness to stand before them and say, it's time to change it up a little. It's time to understand the heartbeat behind it. It's time that we quit doing all the things that the hypocrites do. And we start actually following God. God, I thank you for his boldness in that. And I pray, Father, that we would have the same boldness. That God, as you speak through your word to us this morning, God, that I pray that you would convict hearts, Father. If there's anyone in the room this morning, Father, who maybe uh, has listened to this message and come, man, my prayer life has been, God, for lack of a better term, just garbage. It's been repetitive, empty phrases. Or, or maybe they've realized this morning that maybe the only time that they've actually prayed is when they've stood in front of other people and they've been required to. God, I pray you'd break our heart over that. I pray that you would just, Father, just melt us this morning over that, that we would just have no other response, Father, than to get on our knees before you and maybe for the first time in a long time, God, just honestly seek you. And that it wouldn't be about drawing attention to us. It wouldn't be about empty phrases anymore, God. It would just simply be an honest outpouring of us in order that we can be filled back up with you. God, that's my prayer. Break us, God. We're available. We're here, God. We got nothing else on the schedule. Use us how you want to. We'll praise you and we'll glorify you for it. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.